Parshat Vayera is a real banquet of delicacies when it comes to things to talk about. Um, the whole issue of the visitation of the Malachim, why there's a second enunciation about the birth of Yitzchak, uh, how do we understand Sarah's reaction, or how do we understand the whole scene, the famous Rambam, that it's all a vision. Uh, and then, of course, Avram's negotiations for stone, then, of course, the destruction of stone. And then, of course, there's Lot and his daughters and a bottle of Ripple in a cave. And that whole scene, uh, then, then we get to the part that's more well known only because it's the Kriyat Torah and Rosh Hashanah, which is the birth of Yitzchak and then the expulsion of Yishmael and that how that all plays out. Then the Brit with Avimelech. And then, of course, the Akedah. Who can ignore the Akedah? Most dramatic story probably in all of Chumash. Very powerful. So I'm going to pick something that's none of those things. And that is uh, the story, which is uh, Parakhath. This is a story we've never looked at. And it's a story which which uh, actually seems to be a repeat of an earlier story in the Torah. And that is the story of Avraham and Sarah in Egypt. When Avraham and Sarah go to Egypt and uh, Avraham has Sarah say that they're brother and sister and she gets taken by uh, Paro and that whole story. And the story seems to repeat here. However, there's some things in this story that make it very different. So I'm going to ask, start by asking you the following question. Avi Melech, the king of the Plishtim, good guy or bad guy? You like him or you don't like him? What do you think? What's your instinctive reaction? Negative, but he redeemed himself, I guess. What does that again? I say negative, but he redeemed himself. Bad guy who redeemed himself. Okay. I think generally our attitude towards everybody that Avram faces off against is bad guy, and Avram wins, right? Seemingly. Not exactly the case. Depends how we understand Malkitzedek, but broadly that's the way we're going to generally see it. I think that we need to reevaluate Avimelech, and I think that there are sufficient allusions in the text that really present Avimelech in a very positive light. Um, and so we're going to read through the text quickly, and that's going to bring us to what you can see is the core of the shiur, which is this one line, which is an enigmatic and inexplicable line that the Mepharshim all have difficulties with. I'm not going to offer a panacea and say I've solved all the problems, but I'm going to suggest a different take on it that might alleviate some of the issues. All right, let's take start from the beginning. The destruction of Storm happened, and Vaisam Misham Avram Vartsa Negev. Avram goes from there, he goes to the Negev, and then he leaves the territory of Hebron. Uh, maybe the Storm episode um, traumatized him, and he leaves. That's a play on words. He sojourns in the area of Grar, and Grar is the capital city of this group of Plishtim, and the king of the is Avimelech. Avimelech probably is a title name because there's another Avimelech we meet uh, who seems to be as his son. Uh, so Avimelech seems to be the title name for the king of the Plishtim. Avram announces that Sarah is his sister. It's exactly like what happened with Paro. Avimelech summons her and she's taken to him. And now, This did not happen in the case of Paro. But God comes to Avimelech in a dream, which already may give us, certainly Avimelech comes out looking better than Paro in the story. It may actually put him in a generally positive light because he's having the vuat. So 
So what does he announce? He said, God says to him in the dream, you are going to die because you took this woman. She is a married woman. And now we find out that Avimelech had not had any relations with her. And so what, that's in the past perfect. He had not had relations with her. And so Vayomar, what does he say in his dream? Adonai, now notice I highlighted that word. Will you kill the innocent nation? Now, first of all, notice that he uses the word Adonai. That is not a name that people have used very much till now when addressing God. As a matter of fact, the first person to do it, and he did it twice, was, and perhaps three or four times, depending how we read the story in the front of the tent, Avraham. Avraham is the first person to call God by that name. Gamor makes a fancy piece. Think about it. And that's in Brit Ben And now Avimelech uses the same word, in his vision. It means it's in a dream, but that's the word he uses. And he also says, will you kill an innocent person? After all, I'm innocent. He's going to plead his innocence now. Does that remind you of anything? When he says, are you going to kill an innocent person? It sounds about an awful lot like whom? Avraham. Avraham and his negotiations for Stone, which has already has, has happened here. And now he, he, defend, he builds his case. They both said about each other that they're siblings. Notice those words. Meaning with an innocent heart and with cleanliness of hands, I, I did this. In other words, I, I, I had no reason to think there was anything wrong here. And God speaks to him and says, I know that you did this with an innocent heart. And I withheld you. I kept you from sinning. Meaning, I know that you did this innocently. I know that you did not mean to take another man's wife. And therefore, I kept you from actually doing anything. Therefore, I didn't allow you to touch her. Meaning, I somehow stopped you physically from having any relations, which is what we read at the beginning of Pasuk Dalad. Avimelech didn't have relations with her. So it might mean that Avimelech wanted to, but God somehow messed with his plumbing or in some way made it impossible for him to do. And God said, I did it to spare you, which, by the way, by the way, should tell us Avimelech's a good guy. Avram is not just saving Sarah from this. He's saving Avimelech from this. But take a look at these words. I also know about you, which, by the way, is something that we're going to hear very soon at Akedat Yitzchak. Now I know that you are a fear, one who fears God. And the Baton Levavcha, notice, I know that you did this with the purity of heart. What did God say to Avram just before Brit Milah? That same word, Tamim. And now a critical word, which is critical because it's so rare, shows up in the Akedat twice. After Avraham, uh, his hand is stayed, the Malach says, Ata yadati, there's yadati, right? Ki Elohim ata, I know that you fear God. You did not withhold your son from me. That's a Akedah word. It shows up twice there. And here it shows up in God's words, Tavi Melach. I withheld you from sitting. It's an un- unusual word. It should be, I uh, with, I restrained you from sinning, right? 
But instead, v'achsoch is an unusual word, and it takes us again to the Akedah. And then he says, And now return this married woman to her husband, because he's an Avi. Why is that critical? He'll pray for you and you'll live. In other words, you're at risk of dying. He'll pray for your well-being. And why does he have to pray for you? Because you wronged him. So he has to pray for you. And if you don't return her, then you're dead. You and your whole group are going to die. Okay. And by the way, Avimelech is, on the one hand, innocent. On the other hand, was very close to doing something bad. And it may be anchored in a bad behavior on his part that when he sees a woman he likes, if she's not attached, he grabs her. But nonetheless, he's spared, and God seems to favor that. Now watch this. Does that phrase ring a bell? Exactly. Three times. Once when he sends off Yishmael, once when he gets off to, to, to watch the destruction of Stom, and once famously at the Akedah. And now Vayashkem Avimelech Baboker, I can tell you this about Kriya, you almost say Vayashkem Avram Baboker, because you're used to it, and it starts with Aleph Bera anyways. So he gets up, and he calls his servants together, and he tells them what happened, and they get very afraid. And then he summons Avraham and he says, what did you do? What did I send to you that you brought this great, uh, terrible thing to me? And then he finally says to him in a simple frame, Pasuk Yod, What did you see that caused you to do this? And what's Avram's answer? So Avram gives three different answers, which is are somewhat contradictory. He says, first of all, And again, is what Avram is recognized as having at the Akedah. Which would translate best into, I saw there was no morality here. They will kill me, not you will. They will kill me for my wife. In other words, they'll, they'll see that I'm a married man. I'm married to this beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous 89-year-old woman, and uh, and they'll kill me to get her. And by the way, She actually is my half-sister. She's my paternal sister, not maternal sister. She became my wife which, by the way, is strange on a lot of levels. It's strange because there was no mention earlier when we got a whole yichas from Milkah, who married Nachor, Sarai is introduced without any yichas, and we're not told that she's in any way part of the family of Terach. That's first of all. Second of all, there's a kind of ich factor here, that even if it's technically permitted that he married his half-sister, it's a little bit difficult. But it gets more difficult here. And I'm, not, I'm just pointing out these difficulties which we're not going to deal with, because that's a whole other shear of understanding Avraham's response. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, and I said to her, This is how you'll be kind or loyal to me. Everywhere we go, say that you're my that I'm your brother. Now notice that Avraham is saying two contradictory things. On the one hand, he's saying, I came here, I saw you guys were immoral, and I thought I'd be killed, so I said that you should say you're my sister. Second of all, you're, she really is my sister, so I didn't lie. Okay, yeah, but you left out the important part, which is you're married to her. And then third thing he says, and I told her, everywhere we go, tell them you're my sister, which means that it's not because I noticed here that there was immorality, but rather that was our that's our travel plan. And by the way, it means, and there's a critical difference here, when did Avraham tell Sarah to say that? 
Did he say it after he arrived and he looked around and he saw people behave? Or did he say it before they got there? Or did he not have to say it at all? Because that's what they did everywhere. So the information is a little bit at odds with itself and something to consider and contemplate elsewise. But here's what I want to get to. What does Avimelech do? He gives, and this reminds us of Paro, but of course Paro did it before he was plagued. Here Avimelech does it as reparations. So he hands Sarah over along with a lot of big stuff. And again, he comes out much, much better than Paro because Paro throws Avram out. Here, Avimelech actually says, here's my land. Me, kasa su kasa. Right? My country is your, my land is your land. And wherever you want to go, you can live. And now he says something really bizarre. He turns to Sarah. And these only words, the only words we ever hear him say to Sarah. Well, Sarah Amar, Behold, I've given your brother, which is, by the way, a real ironic term. I've given him a thousand silver pieces. Now, by the way, money was not mentioned. Silver was not mentioned in Pasuk Yodalin. Rather, flock and, and, uh, and herd and slaves and slave girls. So it sounds like beyond all that, he gave him a reparation of silver. It is either a garment for your eyes or covering for your eyes. Either way, it's the same thing, something that covers your eyes. What's that mean? You're supposed to put the silver on your face? Unclear. Clearly not meant that way. For all that are with you, the eight call Vinochachat, and everyone who's present, maybe. The Rishonim are all over the place of trying to understand what this phrase means. And we'll take a look at a, uh, just a couple examples. Um, and then what happens is Avraham prays and Hashem heals Avimelech and his whole household because God had stopped up all of their reproductive organs and maybe their eliminatory fact- functions. They'd all been really messed up while Sarah was there. Okay. Now, before moving on to explaining, I just want to point one more thing out to substantiate the idea that Avimelech is seen in a very positive light here. Besides all of the Avraham illusions that we have, and all of these Avraham words and phrases, and besides the fact that Hashem acts to help Avimelech, and Avimelech behaves real gentlemanly way afterwards, Besides that, it may be that a Perakim Tehilim is actually coming to comment on Avimelech and to praise him. In Perak Haftalad, Miya Alev Ahar Adonai Miyakum Konkocho, right? But Davim is more the Adonai Hatsum Lot Tevel Beyoshveva, etc. And there is a what seems to be a call and an answer. We've studied this Perak before uh, and seen this as antiphonal. Who will go up to Harashem? Who could stand in His holy place? And what's the answer? Somebody who is has clean of hands and pure of heart. Meaning that you have to have no theft and nothing that you don't own. Your hands have to be clean, but also purity of heart. And you notice that those are exactly the phrases that Avimelech used to describe his own behavior. He says, and it seems to me that Tilim is, is exactly copying that. Now notice that when God answers, he says, meaning, yes, you were innocent, 
he doesn't repeat the thing about the hands. So maybe the fact that Avimelech actually took a woman into his house, even though it was under uh, um, being misled, nonetheless may, may render a little guilty. But it could be that this parakin uh, in uh, Tehillim is sort of giving some support to the idea that Avimelech is a good guy. Maybe. In any case, let's take a look at this parshanut on this Ksute Naim and Eit Kol Ochachat. Very difficult phrase. So it's a Midrash, which is interesting also because of where, what doesn't happen in this Midrash. All right? Um, I'll show it to you in a second. Hineulach Ksute Naim. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. This is Breshit Rabbah. Asela so the first take is, I'm giving Avram this money so he should make a beautiful garment so that people will look at the garment and not at her body. Right? What's that? Another take is, And Enayim, as we'll see in Adam Fashim, seems to mean hues of color. So in other words, it's like a garment that's made of multicolors. Right? Meaning that Avimelech is making her into like a uh, a stately woman instead of uh, you know, it's giving her honor. Meaning, giving her a garment that keeps her away from people's eyes. Now notice, by the way, all over the place in the Midrash on this phrase, because the phrase is so enigmatic. What he was trying to do was actually kind of make, create jealousy in front of Abraham to say, she was with me for all these years and I didn't do anything. And here in one night, she's with, sorry, Abraham was with her for so many years and has never given her any glory. She has cheap clothes. And now I'm with her for one night and look what all this great stuff I have. I'm trying to make, create kind of difficulty between the two of them. That's another take. What's Ksutenayim? He says, you hid things from me because you said that you're brother and sister. So So your son is going to be blind. Now, the interesting thing about this Midrash is this is a Midrash that doesn't make it into the collection of Midrashim that Rashi presents at the beginning of Parak Chavzayin when it says Yitzchak went blind. Rashi quotes a Midrash that Yitzchak went blind from the smoke of uh, Esav's wives, and that Yitzchak went blind so that Yaakov could steal the bracha. And in one Taviyad, Rashi adds, Yitzchak went blind from the tears of the angels when he was on the Mizbeach, on the, on the, at the Akedah. This doesn't make it in there, that Yitzchak went blind because his mother was cursed for lying about who she was, and that that's what Avimelech did. But notice how difficult this phrase of Ksuye Naim is. Rashi gives the following presentation, and he does not follow the Midrash in this exactly. He says, Avimelech wanted to honor her. Meaning, I gave all this money to your husband, your brother. Why is it your brother? Because you said he was your brother. This kavod is going to cover you, protect you in front of everybody. That nobody would treat you lightly. Why? If I had returned you back to Avram without any money, people think I had my way with you, and then I threw you back on the street. 
Now that I had to spend all this money and ask for for an, and, and apologize and ask for mollification, everybody will know that I was forced to give you back and there was a miracle involved, which means my giving all this money to your husband or you're calling your brother is actually covering up your honor, protecting your honor, because people will now know that, A, nothing happened between us, and that I was forced as a king to beg from this visitor forgiveness. Right? Isn't it really the opposite? If he gives her all kinds of gifts and showers her with things, people will say she must have really pleased him. But then he would have kept her. The fact that he had to return her, that's the point. He would have kept her. The fact that he had to return her, if he'd returned her with nothing, he would have said, I'm done with you, throw you back, like one of Ahasuerus' girls. The fact that he has to do all of this, and ma- and it's public, and he has to beg forgiveness and please pray for us, etc., means that there, her honor has been saved. That's the way Rashi sees Ksute Nain, right? Um, and Ibn Ezra quotes this Midrash about the Yitzchak going blind. By Ashar Be'inai, that's a plan words, Ibn Ezra loved the plan words, said that which is straight in my eyes, meaning what I think is correct. This is the the uh, double adjective impact. Meaning this will cover your eyes in order in order to identify Davin's your husband. Meaning no other man will look at you again because of all this honor, they'll know that Avram is your husband and they won't want to mess with you. So this protects you. Right? That's another take. Ula Sarah Amardi, Bechor Shor says. Right? Why did he speak to Sarah? So she should also be mollified. Okay? And then he says that it's Ksute Naim, Shemachasemimech Boshet Adam. It'll keep you from being embarrassed in front of others, very much like what Rashi says. Take a look at the Radak. The Radak, um, unlike the Bechor Shor says the, the hundred, the thousand he mentioned was the value of all those sheep. The Radak says, no, besides all the sheep, he gave her, he gave a thousand, right? And now, what's Ksute Naim? Again, he says, Naim doesn't mean eyes, but colors. Avram will buy you a beautiful garment with this money that I've given him, right? He proves that a hue is called an ayin. Right? And it has nothing to do with protecting her honor or anything else of that sort. The Ramban. What does the Ramban say? <clears throat> he says, Like the Bechor Shor. In other words, everything I gave your, your, your brother slash husband is worth that much. Not I didn't give him besides that. Be'amal Sarat. Atati Mamon Rav Lachich. Hinea Kesef Hazel Lach this will cover the eyes of anybody who wants to look at your beauty. They will turn away from you. Why? They won't even look at your maids in waiting and your slave girls. Meaning, this is all your benefit that I grabbed you. In other words, I've helped you out by me giving this great ransom to save my life and to return you. Nobody's going to want to mess with you because they see what it costs even a king. And so 
not there's no physical garment, but rather the the events will be a protection from people looking at you uh in the wrong way. Right? Um and uh good. So that that's the Ramban. Now I just want to share with you this Shadal, because Shadal brings in, and Shadal, of course, nineteenth century, and brings in lots of information that became known to us about the ancient world that the Rishonim didn't have access to. So he quotes uh particular Nicholas de Lira, who was a commentator. He has a different take. He says, the fact that you would come in and say, this guy's my brother instead of husband, was covering the eyes, meaning it was a lie. Meaning, this is not a bad thing for all the people with you. You could certainly tell that to tell the people who are with you about it because they're not going to make a mistake. They know that you're married. You don't have to tell them that lie. But with everybody else, you should learn from this story and not make and not lie. You can lie to people around you because they know you're married. Doesn't matter. But you tell this lie to others, they won't know. And what happened to you here might happen again. That's a very strange comment, and he doesn't like it very much. And he quotes somebody named Roj and Schroeder beforehand who said. We're going to start with this. That the unmarried women used to walk around without anything covering their face. The married women would actually cover their face. I'm going to show you that this idea is good, but it's actually backwards. Basically, I've given you a thousand pieces of silver, buy a veil. Why? Don't behave like a pnuya. In our world, we would say, don't walk around without a shetel or a techel. That looks like you're single. Or to a guy, we would say, don't, don't die without a talus. Looks like you're single. Right? This covering your eyes will let everybody know that you're actually a married woman. Okay, very nice. I think that Schroeder's onto something here, but I think that it's actually backwards and we have evidence from, from text. Let's take a look. Again, um we have to keep in mind that uh that Avimelech, I think we've demonstrated pretty successfully, is seen as a good guy. There's somebody that we kind of like, and somebody who perhaps has something to teach Avraham. Let's see. Avraham comes to Egypt. And what happens on his way to Egypt? A very strange Pasuk. On the way down to Egypt, he suddenly says. He says to Sarah, now I realize that you're beautiful. What, till now you didn't realize it? Come on. When the Egyptians see you, then all this is going to happen, say you're my sister, etc., etc. Well, what does that mean? I will give you two more examples, then we'll come back to it. Rivka. When she gets on the camel, she rides on the camel. Evidently, she has nothing covering her head or her face. And when they get close to Beersheba, and she says to the Eved, who is that man? And he says, that's Adoni, that's my master, meaning that's the guy you're going to marry. What does she do? She takes a shawl and she covers herself. Why? This is the man she's going to marry. Why does she cover herself? 
And the third example is perhaps the weirdest one. Yehuda Tamar, we know the story. And Yehuda, at a certain point, loses his wife. He's looking for female companionship. Tamar hears about it. What does Tamar do? She takes off her widow's clothes, her mourning clothes. She covers herself with a shawl. Now, we kind of picture that as a shawl around the shoulders. I don't think that's the case. She goes to this crossroads. She saw that she's not going to be given to Sheila. We know what she wants. She wants to have relations with the Yudah because she wants to have a child in that family. And here's where the strange pasuk comes in. Yehuda sees her and thinks she's a zona. Why? Because she covered her eyes. Now, and covered her face. Now, you'll realize that's a weird phrase. He thought she was a zona because she covered her face. You would think kind of the opposite. And Chazal, indeed, are bothered by this pasuk. It says, what do you, what do you mean? Rather, it means that when she was in Yehuda's house, she kept her face covered. He didn't know what she looked like. So, not now, but back then. Very difficult comment. Could it be... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Could it be the key is, is in, in spite of? Um, where does key ever mean that? Right? And by the way, what would be the, what would be the relevance of it? So I'd like to make the following suggestion. It's fairly clear that women in Mesopotamia did not cover their face. How do I know that? When Yaakov gets to Haran, which is in, which is under Mesopotamian kind of hegemony and impact of customs, he sees Rachel, and right away he sees Rachel, and he falls in love with her, right? She's not covered her face. He, um, when the servant comes to Haran, and the girls come out to, uh, to, with the water, he sees Rivka. Rivka's beautiful. He sees her. She's not covering her face. And yet we do know that in some societies, the custom was for girls to keep their face covered, at least out in public. Married or unmarried. What does Avraham, who is a Mesopotamian, and therefore Sarah doesn't cover her face, what does Avraham realize when he comes down to Mitzrayim? They will see you, and they're not used to seeing a woman. And therefore, they're going to see your beauty, etc., and all that's going to flow from them. What happens... We're here with Rivka. Rivka is from Mesopotamia. She doesn't keep her face covered, but she's coming to Canaan, and she knows that the custom in Canaan is for women to keep their face covered. So when she's about to meet her husband-to-be, she covers her face. This is the proper local custom. She understands you have to adopt the local custom. What happens here? Tamar is living in Yehuda's household. She doesn't cover her face because she's living in this household which maintains Mesopotamian customs. How does she disguise herself as a local Kanani girl? She covers her face. And you now think she is a local. And the fact that she's out at a crossroads, making herself available, uh, means the rest. Ki again, means he couldn't see her because because she covered her face, and as a result of that, we saw that in the earlier Pasuk, as a result of that, he assumes she's a local girl, and we go from there. What happens in our story? Avraham comes to Gerar. 
And Avraham announces that Sarah's his sister, which he can get away with, and everybody sees her, and of course her face is not covered. Because Avraham is maintaining the Mesopotamian customs. What does Avimelech say when we get here towards the end, in the, in the passage to Sarah, which he's really saying to Avraham? He's saying, here, buy yourself a veil. Why? You and all of those of you with you, what's he, what the Muslim is he giving her? When you're in Grar, you have to behave like the Anshe Grar. You have to adopt the local customs. It doesn't mean you have to adopt the local beliefs. It doesn't mean you have to adopt the local fetishes and anything else. But you do have to adopt the local customs, for instance, of dress. And he's giving Musa to Avraham. And therefore he uses the word ve'et kol v'nochachat, meaning everybody who's in front of you who sees you. The people who see you shouldn't be seeing your face. You are a married woman, and you should be adopting the local customs. And so therefore, that's the Musa that he gives him. Now, this cuts in to a very difficult problem that we all face and is part of part of Jewish history and part of Piskei Halacha and myriad of Chuvot, which is how do you balance assimilation with identification, with identity? How do you balance between fitting into local society and maintaining your otherness? There are some people who go to one extreme and they remain in little hamlets in which they speak the language that they've spoken for the last 500 years and they dress like that and they interact like that. And ultimately, at the very least, their impact on the rest of the community is limited and their ability to operate successfully ultimately becomes stunted. And then, of course, there's many people who have taken the exact opposite stream, which is assimilate fully in every which way. And of course, that's uh, unfortunately a very high percentage of people who are Jewish, at least in, in this country. But Jewish history and the history of halacha is replete with the challenge of balancing those two things. Avraham absolutely has to maintain his otherness. His entire life's task is dependent on his maintaining his otherness. And yet, Avimelech is giving him a sir. On a certain level, you need to adapt yourself to local norms. And as a matter of fact, your impact will be stronger if you do. Avraham does seem to buy this piece of Musr because notice what happens after the Akedah. Avraham, by the way, in the meantime, Avraham made a breach with Avimelech, which means now they're treaty partners. And after the Akedah, Sarah dies. And what does Avraham do? He enters into negotiations, which seems to be on the terms of the local population to buy Merata Machpelah. And he identifies himself as fully as possible with the locals by saying, Ger I am a stranger, but I'm a resident. I am part of the society. And I want to negotiate with you and work with you in getting this place to bury Sarah. But what's the next thing that happens after that? He makes his slave take an oath that he'll never take a wife from the local girls for Yitzchak. Why? Because now that I have been drawn into becoming part of the society, I have to maintain my otherness. And the only way to successfully do that is to make sure that I don't have a local girl who marries Yitzchak. It's not because of some moral pgam of the Kananim, but it's that Avram has to maintain his otherness.
So hopefully we've had a, a chance to see uh, a different take on Ksute Naim and on the very difficult phrase and also see Avimelech in a different light and perhaps get a broader message of the impact of what uh, of what Avimelech was talking about in his words to Sarah.